Welcome to Basecamp, where men meet together to seek deeper understanding of authentic manhood and apply principles from God's Word to our daily lives. There's an anecdote attributed, I'm sure many, many of you know it, about that was attributed to Coach Vince Lombardi after they'd lost the, the football championship the week before, and he starts the 1961 season. He holds up an object, and he tells his team of professional football players, and he says, say it with me, gentlemen, this is a football. Okay, so, you know, we're real basic stuff. So that's kind of what uh, this semester is about. That's a little bit of what today's gonna be about. Um, and I think like to borrow Jack's metaphor from last week, what I'm gonna talk about this morning, this was buried in your end user agreement. You clicked agree to this and you, you say you believe this, but we're gonna unpack it a little bit. And maybe for some of you, it's a struggle and you're like, ah, I'm not sure I buy that. I buy a lot, I buy that you know, Jesus is Lord, but I'm not sure about this whole born of a virgin thing. Um, but uh, I think this is not one of those optional things. This is a fundamental thing. This is a basic thing. So we're gonna talk through uh, born of a virgin, uh, and uh, we're going to kind of talk about, so if, uh, if Jesus is Lord, how does, how does he get to be God and man at the same time? So this is kind of the, the three things we're going to cover. Um, you know, we're going to talk about creeds. Um, that's an interesting topic in and of itself. We're going to talk about the necessity. Why does, why does Jesus need to be born of a virgin? How is that, why is that a thing? And then some objections that maybe you have, maybe you've heard, and I want to talk to some of them. Obviously, in the time that we have this morning, we don't have time to cover all of them, um, but we are going to talk about at least some, and I hope that at your tables, you guys will maybe share some of the uh, things that you've heard, th things uh, maybe of the litur various liturgical traditions from which you came, um, and, uh, and hopefully in this, in this discussion about Mary, uh, we will not end with uh, uh, reciting Hail Marys or anything like that here at the end, although up front, yes, I am. You did get the ex-Catholic who went to Notre Dame to bring this topic about the, the born of a virgin, and I asked Derek, yeah, are you serious? You know, this is, this is really who you want. Okay, okay, yeah, we're going to do this. So uh, happy to talk to you about my own um, experience and, um, and what, uh, uh, what is fundamental, but we're going to stick to the fundamentals, okay? We're sticking to the football, all right? All right, so uh, sometimes I get asked if, uh, uh, in, my, in my role on the staff, is BCC a creedal church? Um, and I usually say, no, not really, because most Sundays, unless Josh Harper is preaching, we don't actually you know, go through a creed every, every Sunday. What, and I kind of like the fact that Josh did that. I think that, was, that is a, a, a cool thing. But that doesn't, just because we don't say a creed every Sunday, that doesn't mean that we don't have fundamentals that we believe, we very much do, uh, you can go <clears throat> to the uh, BCC, or sorry, BerkCommunity.com website, click on about what we believe. This will be after base camp, right? Nobody should be checking their phones right now, right? So when we're done, go to, the, yeah, Carl. So, all right, so, but we're, uh, uh, we do have these things written down. Anybody can see them, you can see them. Uh, and if you've been through our membership class, you've, you've gone over them in some, some great detail. Um, but I don't think that there's anything in the commonly held creeds of the Christian church that are not also found in our statement of faith. Um, so uh, we're not going to cover everything, but we do need to cover the part about how our Lord Jesus Christ was born into the world of a virgin mother named Mary. So what are these creeds? Well, 
Uh, the first one, and I printed this one out for you on your sheet, just so you have it. Um, this is kind of the earliest one. It's uh, attributed to the apostles. The apostles did not write this. That's just what we call it, uh, is the Apostles' Creed. Um, now remember, most of human history, people could not read. I mean, it's not, it's not, you know, not only that they didn't have iPhones uh, or Androids or whatever your preferred smartphone is, they didn't even have books. And if they had a book, they wouldn't know what to do with it, except maybe prop the, you know, lid to the tent open or something like that, right? I mean, so what do you, how do you transmit the faith to somebody who is illiterate? Uh, well, one of the ways that the church did that was we taught people by word of mouth all the time. You would come to the church, you'd hear the word, and you would be instructed on about some things that you could hopefully memorize and say over and over and over. And not just on your own, we'd say them together when we gather. And that's kind of where the creeds kind of came from. So these creeds were really important, uh, especially in the life of the church. Uh, and so this is our, the oldest creed that we know about is the Apostles' Creed. So um, that I did also want to include, I think it's on your sheet, hopefully I, the one that got printed is this one, where it also has the, the section of our statement of faith that matches the part that's highlighted uh, that's in there uh, concerning the, uh, the born of a virgin. Um, and the, uh, let me see if I can quickly flip to that, that section so I can see what you're seeing. But it says uh, in the middle of it, uh, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Everybody, every Christian would know that. You should know that as a Christian. On our statement of faith, it talks about, you know, God the Son, Jesus Christ is God, eternally preexistent Son and living Word, who became incarnate through his miraculous conception by the Holy Spirit and his virgin birth. Um, there are other creeds. Uh, there was a Nicene Creed, if you uh, were like me and your church, uh, if you grew up in a liturgical tradition, uh, you probably recited this creed. It's a little bit longer. Um, I didn't include it on your sheet, we're not going to recite it, but the part in the Nicene Creed that matches the part that we're going to talk about, it says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. Uh, and, uh, you know, but wait, there's more. There's there's another creed. This, is, this may or may not have been a creed that was said often in church. It's quite long. I, I think you should look at it, particularly if you wrestle with concepts of the Trinity. We're not going to talk more about the Trinity today, but if you really want to get a good explanation of the Trinity and how to, how to wrestle through it in a concise fashion, go find the Athanasian Creed. Uh, but uh, so our part that, from that creed, and this is still, still used in some liturgies in some churches today, uh, but it says, in part, and it's, like I said, it's about a two-pager. So if you've got this one memorized, kudos to you. Uh, I don't, but it, it says, uh, God and man, God of the substance of the father and man of the substance of his mother. Um, you know, it goes on, it talks about uh, you know, perfect God and perfect man of a reasonable soul and human flesh subsisting equal to the Father as touching his Godhead, inferior to the Father as touching his manhood, uh, who, although he be God and man, yet he is not two, but one Christ. One, not by conversion of the Godhead into flesh, but by taking the manhood into God. Uh, one altogether, not by confusion of substance, but by unity of person, for as the reasonable soul and flesh is one man, so God and man is one Christ. It's a little 
uh, mysterious though, right? I mean, this is, this is a notion that, uh, <laughs> this is not straightforward. This is, this is a little bit, it, it's one of those parallel lines that Marty talks about that somehow end up at the foot of the cross when, when we get to heaven, we're gonna ask some questions. I hope you're gonna ask some questions like I am or, or God's just gonna insert this understanding into my puny little brain and my eyes will be fully open. But I got questions and this is, this is one of them. Um, so uh, now let's talk about the, the necessity. Uh, why, why is a virgin, uh, being born of a virgin even needed? Uh, you know, there are strong, there's a strong biblical basis for this. You can go all the way back, back to the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis chapter three, verse 15 uh, says in part, and I will make enemies of you. This is God talking to the serpent. I will make enemies of you and the woman and of your offspring and her descendant. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. So that's kind of a strange prophecy if you've looked at that uh, before, but it's significant in that the promised redeemer and this is right after the fall, and God is basically saying, there, I'm going to, I, have a, I already have a plan for redeeming the, the world that has been, has been ruined by sin. Uh, but this prophecy refers to the offspring as an offspring of her. That's, that's significant. Typically, uh, you know, descendants are traced through the male line. Uh, and you see, some, some, you see a lot of that in Scripture. You see that even in Matthew's account of the genealogy of Jesus, uh, it's mainly a genealogy of Joseph, right? It's how Joseph is a part of the house of David and his father and father's father and father's father's father, <clears throat> all the way back. Uh, but in this prophecy, the fact that there would be a redeemer coming from specifically a woman is a hint, if you will. Uh, we also have a very famous prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, which if you haven't heard it yet, you're gonna hear it soon because Advent's coming and Christmas is near, right? Uh, and I hope, by the way, that the, whatever you come out of this this morning is to say that Mary is more than just a little figurine that we put out a few weeks before Christmas. That's, that's the idea here, is that you as a believer are equipped to say, no, Mary's a, Mary's a really important person and, and for reasons that we're going to get into, but it's not just because of the Christmas story. All right, there's, there's, a, there's a lot more there. But so Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and she will name him Emmanuel. Now that, uh, we can get into some, some Hebrew words about what, what uh, term is used for virgin there, but in, basically in this one, the word is uh, Alma, and that's always a young, unmarried girl. There are other uh, words in the text that refer to young women that could be married or not, and that's not the, not the word that was used here, but this word Alma uh, has, to, has always a young, um, unmarried uh, virgin girl. Um, so, uh, and at any rate, there's, the, the scriptures told us to expect this, at least in part. But, uh, you know, why is this, uh, why is it important that we have a, a born, a, a redeemer born of a virgin? Um, the arguments are coming, and I will talk about them here at the end, but one, one solution is that it's whatever, however God's plan for redeeming the world, it needs to be in God's will and in God's timing. You know, if you have been uh, a dad like I am, there was, 
I had maybe some say in the timing of my kid's birth. I didn't have the only say. Uh, I had to get some, you know, buy-in, let's just say, uh, in terms for for lots of reasons. And I'm not a salesman, so (laughs) it took a long, long time. But um, I did make a couple of sales once, and and we have a son and daughter. That's not important right now. But but the idea, (laughs) the idea is that that was my idea. Kinda. It was our idea. It was, it was our will, our timing as a married couple of when to have our kids. You could discount that and you could say, Dave, your son Jake is not all that. He's a great guy, but he's, he couldn't be the savior because you guys decided when you were going to conceive your kids. If it's, bo- if it's born to a virgin, okay, now it's, now it's God's timing. It's God's idea. And the argument that it was just another man like you and me uh, falls apart. Uh, the second one that's probably very, very coming up, uh, obvious that's uh, already come up to you is the problem of, of original sin. Jewish culture, Greek culture, they've all had to deal with this notion that, you know, nobody's perfect. <laughs> that's the, the easy way of saying it. And if nobody's perfect and Jesus is another guy, uh, guess what? He's not perfect either. Um, well, how do I get around that? Uh, why is nobody perfect? Because we're born that way. Uh, that's the only thing that's true about being born that way, but we're born sinners, uh, unless there's born of a virgin. Um, finally, uh, if, you know, the, the world is, is a little messed up, and, uh, you know, if, if it's going to require God to intervene, to come down from heaven, and save us, don't you think uh, a miracle would be kind of an appropriate way of doing that? Uh, A lot of people seem to think, well, if God's God, he can just, you know, decide, all right, it's fixed. Uh, Verses, uh, and I know table two, uh, of which I'm a proud member, we've been wrestling through C.S. Lewis's book on miracles. Uh, I strongly encourage you to uh, do that uh, because it's, it's non-trivial, but the idea is that uh, rather than destroying creation and starting over, God has decided to, uh, in his providence, uh, uh, impact creation by way of intervention, uh, and those things are miracles. And so you would expect, uh, it, unless we're all going to get wiped out and we're going to get the big eraser, you know, and the, the, you know, we're going to take the etch-a-sketch and God's just going to shake the world to its foundations and we're starting over, uh, Sorry, any, anybody too young for Etch-a-Sketch? We're good, you guys with me on that? Uh, he, he's not doing that, but he's, interve- he's interjecting in a way that would not uh, destroy the world, that would not be something that's completely out of character of the way things work, and yet is still miraculous. So uh, that's just another thought, possibly about why, why we're here. So we, we've talked that a little bit about why would there be objections about this this notion of a virgin birth. I get maybe, maybe I'm starting to buy into why we need one, but I, you know, I have some issues here. You know, first, first of all, even in our own statement of faith, it's on your sheet, this, this notion of uh, born to a virgin only appears in two out of four gospels. You know, that's a 50% score, that's an F. You know, I don't think that's, uh, it, it can't be that serious if it if it's only shows up uh, twice. Um, 
So what's the, what's the response to that? You know, well, e- even if something appeared in one gospel, that would be, it should be enough for us, right? Uh, that, you know, if it's, if it's in the inspired word of God and that's our, our foundation for what we believe, that's, that's enough for you, it's enough for me. Uh, I would offer though that there are, um, you know, the different writers of, of the gospel narratives, uh, talk, that, you know, they were in some cases, uh, talking to first-hand witnesses. One of those first-hand people would have been Mary. Remember, Mary's not just part of the Christmas story. Mary shows up all the way through the Gospels, and it shows, she shows up at the foot of the cross. John says, behold your mother, to Mary. I mean, the scope of Mary's life is quite incredible. In fact, I think she's referenced even beyond that in terms of the you know, witness to the, the resurrection and the ascension and others, uh, other matters. So, uh, but Mary was likely a source for Luke. So if, if Luke is coming around and deciding to write his orderly account of what happened and he has the opportunity to interview Mary, uh, Mary's gonna have some insight into some things that others probably would not. Uh, and so you see in the gospel account of Luke, you see some of the some of her own family history uh, discussions about meeting Elizabeth, meeting uh, you know the song of uh, Zechariah, the song of um, uh, her her own song, you know her own response to meeting Gabriel. Uh, so there's uh, just because it's only in two doesn't mean that uh, it's any less important. Um, <laughs> so the big one is, oh right, born of a virgin. Right, uh-huh, yeah, virgin birth, sure. Um, yeah, you and Joseph were doing something you shouldn't have been doing too early or whatever, you know, it's not, not really, really that way. Um, so there's a lot of people tear down the idea of the virgin birth based on just the notion that this is, that's just, you know, the people back then were dumb, uh, and I would, I would counter them like, well, I think people sort of figured out how babies arrive. I mean, that's, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to go to college, high school, any school to know how those things kind of happen. I don't think it's because people were dumb. Um, but I want to throw out that uh, this whole notion doesn't fit anybody's paradigm at all. This doesn't fit the Greek paradigm where you'd have the gods coming out of Olympus uh, essentially seducing some woman. Right, I mean, all those stories of the demigods are all highly sexualized and very, um, there's a lot of passion written into those kind of things. That's not this story at all. This is the very modest story. You know, the power of the Most High will come upon you and the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and hence the offspring to be born will be called the Son of God. That's pretty tame. So Greeks wouldn't like that. They wouldn't buy into that. Jews, on the other hand, you know, think about all the people who were barren. You know, we have Sarah, we have Hannah, we have Elizabeth. Uh, and the response is always, and Sarah knew her husband. You know, you know, uh, Hannah knew Elkanah. Uh, Elizabeth knew her husband. And then there was a conception, right? I mean, there's always a husband involved in the Jewish story because illegitimacy was pretty frowned upon. You know, this is not like, a, oh yeah, this is, you know, single moms have been, have been under the thumb of people and societies for a long time, especially Jewish culture. So this is not going to be like a, oh yeah, Jewish people would totally get this story either. So this story is kind of a unique story. It doesn't necessarily fit everybody else's uh, narrative. Uh, finally, 
Um, and, and there's so much here that, that I could go into, and I'm not gonna because the, the time is short, but um, some of you may uh, come out of a, a Catholic background or others where, where Mary is, frankly, worshiped. Uh, and uh, some, ta- some of you may think, and I don't know, maybe none of you in here, but uh, some of you say, well, if I, believe, if I really believe Mary was a virgin, uh, that's gonna make me a worshiper of her, and that might turn me into a Catholic or a Notre Dame fan, or maybe that's the same thing. I don't know. Um, It's not. If you want to talk about, you know, college athletics, we can talk later. But um, Mary is kind of the pivot point for all of history. I mean, everything, God's plan for redemption comes down, in the words of C.S. Lewis, it comes down to one Jewish girl at her prayers. And she says, yes. It's not God invading Mary, and she just suddenly just wakes up one day going, oh, I'm, I'm pregnant, I, I guess it must be the Holy Spirit. No, she was visited. She had to respond to God. That's our model. When you're at your prayers, are you responding? As, you know, when God comes to visit you, what are you doing? What's your answer? Her answer was, let it be done to me as you say, God, not my will, your will. And it wasn't a promise of all good things, happiness, sunshine, and butterflies and rainbows for Mary. She got to watch her son do all that. It ended very well, but it didn't, it didn't go that way. But I just want to throw out that um, saying yes to God, we, the first uh, you know, example of saying yes to Christ specifically in Scripture, that, that was Mary. Uh, and if you do have this attitude, this, this kind of, a negative attitude towards Mary, um, is, is it coming from an anti-Catholic bias or is it coming from sound theology? And I don't, I don't think you can make a uh, theological argument that Mary is unimportant. Um, you can pray with Mary and you can pray like Mary without praying to Mary and um, I think maybe you should. Um, anyway, uh, don't become an idol worshiper. Don't uh, go down the road of, of Notre Dame football. I mean, it's, it's tragic in many ways. Um, I'm gonna stop there. But I hope that you all at your, at your tables have some discussions about this, and especially those of you who, who come from this, this tradition, talk about what, you've, you know, what you grew up with, what's your, what's your bias? I mean, how come, how come you're not talking to people about what it means to be born to a virgin? So here's your questions. Why do you think being bo- this notion of being born to a virgin was so important, especially to the early church? Uh, what is most mysterious about this to you? What's, what's, what's your hang up? Uh, and then, if you're gonna talk about being born to a virgin to a new believer, how are you gonna do it? Because you need to. A lot of people say, you know, well, I, I believe because I have faith. Faith in who? Faith in Jesus. Faith that Jesus is what? That he's the son of God. How is Jesus the son of God? How was he a man? Here's your opening. Talk about born to a virgin at that point. All right, thanks guys, God is good. Um. Let me just close this out in a word of prayer. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for an opportunity to come in and hear your word. We thank you for a church. We thank you for Josh on Sunday giving a wonderful, um, we, we brought that up again at our table, we, a wonderful description of the creed on Sunday. 
And we ask that you will bless his ministry. What, how exciting a young man answering your call and yet challenging us all to answer that call. We are all ministers, Lord. Put that in our heart. May the lessons we take from here be things that are on our hands, on the cuffs, sleeve cuffs of our shirts that we're ready to share with someone else. May you teach us continually how to love your people and how to share your word with them. May you bless all these men this week in their roles as husbands, fathers, sons, co-workers, soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines. May we send, send us out today with your word in our hearts. Amen.